T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. That was ESPN's Dan Orlovsky. Welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday. We are at the halfway mark, and when we are at the halfway mark, we bring the people that we enjoy listening to the most on the show. This is, this is the primetime Sports Talk Saturday segment. So joining me to, uh, to help me talk through more of the NFL draft, some of these young quarterbacks, their best fits, and how excited he is about Joe Judge calling NFL plays for an offense for the first time in his career. Mark Schofield joins the program. Mark, uh, good morning, or I should say good afternoon to you, my friend. Happy Saturday. Um, I'll let you choose because you're the all-star uh, you know, guest of the day where you want to start, whether it's the QBs and where their best fits are, or if you were interested in talking Joe Judge, Bill Belichick. It can't be that hard to call NFL offenses, right? Um, since you're letting me choose, I'm certainly going to do everything I can over the next 15, 20 minutes or so to avoid the idea <laughs> of Joe Judge, offensive coordinator and play caller. Going to bleed it out? Look, we, ju- we just going to bleed out yeah, 15, I'm, I'm, 20 I'm, minutes here? Okay. I'm going to try to run. I'm going to run the four corners offense here. I'm going to try to bleed this clock out as much as I can. Love that. Um, you know, Dan Olofsky, We can dive into that. Dan Olofsky said recently that that is league-wide, the thing that he is most concerned about is the idea that you will have, whether it's Judge, whether it's Patricia, whether it's you or me, you will have a first-time play caller for, for Mac Jones. And as we all know, and as I'm sure the vast majority of your listeners right now are acutely aware, consistency between a young quarterback and his offensive coordinator slash play caller is critical. And you saw yeah. that with Josh Allen's development with his relationship with Brian Dable. And now you're going to have a first-time play caller, whether it's Judge or Patricia or somebody else, being in charge and tasked with the development of Mac Jones. And that's an unsettling situation for Patriots fans. Now, maybe we're surprised. Maybe Joe Judge has been this offensive play calling savant the entire <laughs> time. He's been a special teams coach and then a, you know, a first-time head coach with the New York Giants, and he just hasn't tapped into that yet. It would make for one heck of a Disney screenplay. I would love to watch that movie. But until I see it actually play out, I am going to share that concern. I, I think it's a, this is a critical point in a young quarterback's development, that leap from first year where you're trying to figure it all out to suddenly you're in the second year, you know, you're supposed to take that sort of a leap forward from year one to year two. That's usually aided along by being in that same system. Now you're going to get a new play caller dumped on top of that. It doesn't seem conducive to quarterback development in my mind. Yeah, listen, I, I think it's such a – in year two, especially when a quarterback like Mac Jones had such an impressive year one, I mean, you, you kind of look at some of the accuracy metrics and his ability um, throughout games to remain on target and be the point guard of an offense, right? And I, and I think that's always – 
short of Bill Belichick seemingly wanting a more athletic quarterback than Tom Brady and then moving on from Tom Brady, going back to almost exactly the type of quarterback Tom Brady was, was interesting. But right. I, I, I think with Mac Jones – you know, they, they have not been able to go out and truly acquire that that quote-unquote number one receiver. And listen, I like Devontae Parker a lot, um, but I you know I'm, I don't think anyone in, in New England is fooling themselves that he's like their some, some, some sort of answer for them at the wide receiver position. Have they done enough at the skilled position? Or maybe that's not the, the question that should be asked, Mark, is can the guys that they, dra- that they drafted and signed in that free agency frenzy of 2021 – going to take year two steps alongside Mac Jones to maybe disguise or hide some of the deficiencies they're going to have at the play calling position, which by the way, I think all of us are probably it's cause it's Joe judge. And if it was anybody else making the transition from being mostly a defensive slash special teams guy to being an offensive coordinator, we probably wouldn't laugh, but it's Joe judge. And he doesn't really have the, the, I would say the baseline level of respect across the league based on how he did in New York the last couple of years. And I think that's fair, but do they have enough skill to overcome what I think is going to be a really unique and interesting, never been done before thing at the, at the play caller. That's a, a very much an open question right now, Nate. It's sitting here right now a couple of weeks before the draft. It doesn't seem like that they've done enough over the past two cycles yet. Obviously, look, they're sitting at a 21. We'd expect a, a potential wide receiver option in this draft class to be available for them, but that gets us into the next part of the Patriots wide receiver discussion, which is they haven't evaluated the, uh, the outside boundary receiver position that well during this Bill Belichick era. They've been able to identify slot receivers, your Z types that sort of move around, right? Whether it's Julian Edelman, whether it's Amendola, even, you know, Dion Branch back in the day. But when you're talking about that X outside boundary type, other than the trade for Randy Moss, which that's a trade for Mandy Moss. I mean, it's not a lot of evaluation that goes <laughs> yeah. on there. They haven't gotten it right. Nikhil Harry being the most recent example. Now, I think Devontae Parker gives them an option there, and it gives them some flexibility at 21 where if they don't like the options that are available, they can go in a different address, direction. They could perhaps address corner. They could address linebacker. They could go in other directions. I'm always preparing myself when the uh, Patriots' first-round pick comes around. I'm stealing myself for that announcement of a trade out of the first round, and that, again, Typical Bill Belichick move would not surprise me. Add picks sort of in that day two area. But I think that one of the moves that they did make was moving on from Jakob Johnson, the fullback. And that's a sign to me that we are going to see more of what we expected last year, which was that two tight end, 12 personnel offense, getting John Smith and Hunter Henry on the field, which means you're really looking at then two inside type receivers because you have that reduced split. You can work those guys inside. You can get the benefit of that two-way go. And so maybe that's going to be the idea here is forget 11 personnel. We're, we're not really going to be that kind of offense. We're, we're going to get back to where people expected us to be with these two tight ends, more of that two, 12 personnel package, mm-hmm. run heavy play action looks, let Mac Jones throw deep off of that stuff. That could be the approach to, like you said, sort of mask you know, a first-time play call. And I think your point about Joe Judge is extremely fair. If this was Dave Tube, for example, the special teams guru for the Kansas City Chiefs who's suddenly thrown into being an offensive play yeah. caller, we'd say, hey, you know, he's a good coach. He can figure it out. But we're talking about a, a guy that we saw his last head coaching gig want a quarterback sneak on third down because he wanted to punt the football. And obviously that 
sort of spurned some jokes on the timeline, and that's led to a lot of the discussion we're having right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That didn't do him any favors, Mark. That did not do him any favors whatsoever. No, absolutely not. It's one of those moments where, look, you know, when my son, who's, you know, in fifth grade, is like, what is he doing? That's crazy. (laughs) It tells you that something's wrong. Yeah, yeah, I I would say that's probably right. Mark Schofield here on the Western Hotline. I um, listen. I before we go into these quarterbacks, which this is a really interesting quarterback class, not for the traditional ways of wow, there's a lot of great talent, Mark. But you know, I I I think I saw Mel Kiper say that Mac Jones is probably the number one quarterback in this draft class if he came out this year, and I think that's. I mean, yes, I I would say that that's right. What what does that kind of exercise do for anybody, though? I, I've always been interested when, like, people t- talk about, like, oh, quarterback X that played his rookie season in the NFL was good. Would have been the number one quarterback taken this year, knowing what we know now. Isn't that the whole point yeah, of the mean, NFL draft? We don't know what we know now. It, it's completely uncertain. And I think the more interesting question would be, where would you rank Davis Mills in this quarterback class? Where would you rank yeah. Davis Mills if you didn't have the benefit of his rookie season with Houston in this quarterback class, because I think that's the more fair comparison. Where will you add on these players as prospects? Because I think there's a case to be made that, you know, if you like Malik Willis, if you like Desmond Ritter, you know, as prospects, you might've had them graded higher than Matt Jones. I think that's mm-hmm. a fair argument. I think, you know, the, the benefit of seeing what they've done as rookies sort of clouds that conversation. And to this quarterback class, I think it is a very interesting group. I think it's very much more of a, a puzzle that we're trying to figure out with scheme fits and trying to put these guys in the best position to be successful because it does seem from all of the moves we've seen league-wide, whether it's Washington trading for Wentz, whether it's Indianapolis adding Ryan, Atlanta adding Marcus Mariota, mm-hmm. even Pittsburgh adding Mitchell Trubisky, these teams have put themselves in a position where they can be patient. And you and I have known each other for a long time. We've talked about quarterbacks and quarterback development for a long time. And we're both kind of of the mind that for some quarterbacks, not all, but for some, you need that time to sort of develop and you need that ideal scheme fit. And so if we're having this conversation two weeks from now, you know, the Saturday of the final day of the draft, and we're talking about, oh, Malik Willis landed with this team and they're going to have some patience. They've got an opportunity to take their time with them. We might sort of, back into a situation where these quarterbacks get the benefit of a little bit of time and patience because these teams went out and added veterans that can play early, and they're going to get that time to learn, to season, to develop. And it might be for the betterment of all of these players that they get into good spots, they get into opportunities where they don't have to play right away, teams take their time and patience with them, and they might be better quarterbacks. And this might end up being a better quarterback class three years from now as a result. Yeah, but that requires patience, Mark. And I, and I think we all know that even though these some of these franchises, they go out, they get a Trubisky, they go out and, you know, you name the moves, and there's still a Baker Mayfield out there, there's still a Jimmy Garoppolo out there. So it's not to, to say that, well, I guess where I'm going is the musical chairs haven't necessarily stopped. The music hasn't stopped, I shouldn't say. But there are very few chairs left and a couple of veterans still available. And I wonder what that means for this quarterback class. And it, listen, I mean, from all accounts, it sounds like not only are evaluators underwhelmed by this draft class, teams are underwhelmed by this draft class. So therefore, I'm not going to necessarily buy the, there's three quarterbacks going in the top 10 of this draft. That's, I would almost be willing to bet 
good money, that's not happening. I do find it incredibly interesting that the quarterback over under for this first round, how many uh, quarterbacks will be drafted in the first round, is set at two and a half. I think that's an interesting number. I might take the over on that because I do think Desmond Ritter's a guy that finds himself in the back end of this first round. The question, and maybe the guy I want to start with you is, Mark, is a guy that I'm really struggling to place in my group of quarterbacks going into the trap. It's Matt Corral. Um, Because if you watch the film... There's some high, there's some highs and there's some lows. There's some accuracy, some downfield accuracy issues that I have with Corral going into this process. If you started the process with Matt Corral as your top quarterback, I don't think you were alone in that. But I think when you finish this process, he is nowhere near the top. I mean, I'm I'm with you. He's my QB four, um, and he's the guy that you know I think in that sort of top tier of quarterbacks might need the most time to sort of develop, might need the most time to sort of acclimate himself to an NFL offense. I think when you watch what Lane Kiffin did for him, he gave him a lot of open first and primary reads. Now, yes, that's his job as an offensive coordinator, but so much of what they did doesn't exactly translate one-to-one to the NFL level. Now, a smart NFL offense coordinator will find ways to incorporate that into an offense for Matt Corral, but you have to look really hard to find examples of him doing the things that we typically believe translate to the NFL. And in some ways, his evaluation reminds me a lot of Justin Herbert's evaluation. Because if Mm. you remember Herbert's evaluation, it was that Oregon offense did him no favors. You know, it's a lot of screens and bubbles and checkdowns and smoke screens. Like, you have to look hard to find moments where, yeah, that's something that will work on Sundays. It's a similar evaluation. Not that they're similar players. They're very different players. But the evaluation is similar. And that's why, you know, the scheme fit for him is going to be critical. The landing spot is going to be critical. The coaching is going to be critical. Because in many third-down situations, he was asked to just throw a screen. Like, it was just, you're going to throw a screen. We're going to sort of take the football out of your hands. Maybe that works on Sundays. Maybe it doesn't. And so his transition is going to be critical. Now, to his credit, cut down on the interceptions. He had 11 in just two games two years ago. He cut those down. There are some moments where you can see him working through reads and progressions and things like that, but they're very small sample sizes. And are you willing to extrapolate that on an entire 17-game season? Many people might not be. I am maybe most fascinated uh, in this group of quarterbacks and Sam Howell. And he's my quarterback five. I think he's most people's quarterback five. He's I mean, just in terms of intangibles, he's doesn't really have the strongest arm of this draft, but he's probably got the best and most accurate deep ball of any quarterback in this draft. Where do you sit on his floor slash ceiling and where he matches up against the other top four guys in this draft? Yeah, I mean, interestingly enough, he's six for me, and that's because I kind of like Carson Strong, but there's obviously a huge medical situation that has to sort of be checked out there. You know, and if Strahd's medicals aren't cleared, if he's aware of that knee, then Howell instantly sort of slides into that QB5 spot in my mind. And he is a very good deep ball thrower. In some ways, he reminds me a bit of Jalen Hurts. You know, because when Hurts was coming out of Oklahoma, I thought that was a strength that he had sort of worked on during his time under Lincoln Riley was the ability to throw the deep ball. That sort of stood out down at the Senior Bowl. And similar to Jalen Hurts, you know, Sam Howell showed the ability this past year to do more with his legs. He was UNC's second lead in rusher. He ran for like 850 yards. And he can give you that. He can give you the opportunity if you want to involve the quarterback in the run game. He can give you that. If you need a, a scramble on a third and seven situation, he can give you that. 
And I see a lot of similarities between those two players. In terms of sort of a, a landed spot for him, it's hard to figure out, and I don't know if they would do it, but Washington would be a decent sort of spot mm. for him. You know, because you think about where Carson Wentz is as a quarterback, it's very much right now his strength is the deep ball, downfield pass, and that's what Washington wanted to unlock when they traded for him. I think that's what Indianapolis thought they were going to get on a more consistent basis. Now, adding Sam Howell, whether it's 11 or whether it's a little bit later in the draft, if you're Washington, are you willing to, after you saw what happened in Philadelphia, draft Sam Howell at 47 after trading for Carson Wentz? Are you willing to do that? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but Washington schematically, I think, makes a little bit of sense to me. Last one I want to ask you about. I, I, you and I have chatted about Ritter before. I think he's also a really intriguing prospect because I think he's probably as close to a finished product, like walks in and could. Yep. If, you, if you're 32, if you're Detroit, and you either sit at 32 and take Ritter or trade out and let a team trade up to come get Ritter. Like, to me, he's the guy out of this group, other than Kenny Pickett, who I'm going to ask you about, that is probably the most pro-ready um, and has that experience. But with Kenny Pickett, you know, I was talking to Connor Rogers on my podcast yesterday, and Connor, and myself, and Bruce were all talking about, like, the hand size argument and the dilemma about his hand size and how it's not a problem until it's actually a problem. And, and when Connor watched him in the Senior Bowl – when and when the weather got rainy during practice, that it was a disaster for Pickett. So I, I know that a lot of people have Pickett as their number one quarterback, and there's a lot of talk about he might be a top ten pick in this draft. Could Carolina do it? Um, you know, could one of these teams that are in the top fifteen, top twenty trade up for a Kenny Pickett? I'm not as sold, but with Pickett, Mark. How important is going to be the destination, and maybe how important is it going to be that he gets to a team and to a franchise that's playing indoor football? Because I'm not sure that's the kind of guy I'm signing up to play. I, listen, I know that he played in college in Pittsburgh, so I, I, and I know that's kind of like a running joke. Well, his hand size is so small, but he's played in Pittsburgh. I'm not sure if I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers that I'm going to sign up to have him be my guy in the first round where I'm worried about his ability to throw the ball accurately in inclement weather. It is a concern, and, you know, to Connor's point about the senior bowl, that did show up when you watch and rewatch, you know, those practices down there. A lot of the quarterbacks had some inconsistency when the weather turned. Malik Willis seemed to be the one where his throws were able to cut through the weather. Pickett struggled. And so I'm sitting here, I'm looking at this draft board, and I see the New Orleans Saints now at 16 and 19. And might they address receiver and tackle with those two picks? Maybe. It's a, it's a possibility where they decide, look, we're just going to stay here. We're going to use these two picks on two positions of need. But the idea of him one played in that, what we expect to see from Pete Carmichael, their new offensive coordinator, very much rooted in sort of Sean Payton's mm -hmm. West Coast philosophy, quick passing game. I think that's going to be an ideal schematic fit for Pickett. And now you're talking about playing, you know, all your home games are in New Orleans. You've got that one game at Atlanta. So you, now you've got you know, eight or nine games a season that are guaranteed to be in a dome. You've got one at Tampa Bay, one at Carolina. Playing in that NFC South might be an ideal environment for him. If teams are scared off by the hand size, and we've all joked about quarterback hand size on Twitter, but eight and a half inches is a legitimate outlier. Smallest since Michael Vick. Pickett's athletic, but he's not Michael Vick athletic. It is an outlier. General managers don't like betting on outliers, particularly in the top ten of the draft. But if you're New Orleans, you know, and maybe you move up a couple of spots or maybe you just wait and he falls to you, that might be an ideal environment for him, literally and figuratively. What an interesting 
couple of days we've got ahead of us, Mark. I'm I'm super excited about how this draft, how this first round plays out, the wide receiver position, what the Patriots are going to do, what the AFC East at large is going to do, especially like, listen, I, I, I'm I'm really intrigued about this Makai Becton situation in New York and yeah. and how this plays out. Hey, DJ Biennemi of the New York Daily News, I obviously talked to Connor yesterday. There is something's coming to a head with this Makai Becton situation, and there's a very real possibility, Mark, that they have the number one tackle sitting on their lap at number four. That's going to be quite a decision to make because Becton, and then, like I was saying to DJ, this isn't a Mike McCagnan holdover. This is one of their own. This is one of their top ten draft picks from two years ago, and giving up on a 23-year-old, which is what you'd be signaling you're doing if you draft somebody at four. I mean, it's I'm yeah. super interested in how that works out. Yeah, I'm very fascinated to see what the Jets do, obviously, with the, the amount of picks that they have in the top 50 this draft to begin with. But, you know, they're going to face potentially a, you know, a draft-altering decision at four. Because if we see, as I think we expect, you know, pass rusher, pass rusher, and, you know, what, what Houston does at three, you know, maybe they go Kyle Hamilton, maybe they go a different direction. But they could have their choice of any offensive tackle in this draft. And if they decide that they're going to draft one of them, that certainly changes this entire, you know, top 10. Or maybe they don't. You know, maybe they draft Sauce Gardner. That's been a name that's been linked to them. Maybe they draft the next pass rusher that's available. Maybe they go in a completely different direction and go wide receiver. A lot of people have linked them with a the receiver at 10. Could they do it at four? But if you're, you're right, if they decide that, look, Evan Neal, you know, Aquanu, Cross, they're staring us in the face. We can't pass on that. This is our best tackle. We have to move on from Beckton that's going to really sort of change how we're looking at this entire top 10. No doubt about it. Mark, appreciate you, brother. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Uh, get some rest in. Maybe uh, one of those uh, cucumber eye ma- uh, you know, the put over the eyes, a nice eye mask, uh, face mask. Get yourself ready because I know you, uh, you, you've been grinding for a while now, and I feel like you deserve a nice little break before the show really happens. Brother, we're going to be grinding until Saturday night when this thing is finally put to bed, and then we can all turn our attention to Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. That's exactly you know right. how this works. The I mock do. Draft, Trevor's, our buddy Trevor Sikama will drop a way-too-early mock draft on Saturday night. No doubt right about it. And he's been prepping that not-too-early draft for six weeks, and don't let anybody fool yeah. him otherwise. That Sicko's been dealing with this for a year, probably. He Sicko. He's ready to go. He's already, he's already got it locked and loaded. He's sick. Absolutely sick. Mark, appreciate you, boss. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for twenty-five dollars per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. Five dollars more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty-four monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. Thirty-five dollars per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.